Hello, 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 and you're tuning in to an episode of Some Scuffs, the podcast that's all about navigating the social world and something or other about finding your voice, blah, 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 you know the drill. Your host is Devel Lee. For those of you who are familiar with the Economical Rise podcast, you probably recognize the voice of its host, Danny, and his trademark opening lines. Thanks, Danny. (laughs) If you aren't familiar with the Economical Rise podcast, it's one of the smartest, most interesting local podcasts out there. Danny does investigative stories into the economics of everyday life, from a detailed look into why fish soup stall queues are so long, to whether or not SMRT should be privately run or owned by the state. Danny's series was the first local podcast I discovered when I was just starting out on my own podcasting journey. And I really struck gold with it because it's so completely absorbing. You can just hear the amount of thought, research and effort that had gone into each and every episode. Plus, you learn something new every time you listen. It made me think, if there's a great podcast like this made in Singapore, then there must be a market for podcasting here. So I wrote Danny a long gushy fan email asking him for advice on what to do next. He became my first podcasting friend, and he's seen me through the last year or so of my own journey producing this show, trying to find my voice and curate the right content on an admittedly esoteric subject. Starting a podcast was scary. Most of us start without a clear idea of whether people even listen to podcasts here in Singapore. I only knew a handful of friends from university who did, and most of my colleagues didn't. My insistence upon podcasting was really due to the fact that it is such a captivating medium, and also because I thought I could really, really share about things that truly mattered to me, and I could be real with listeners, I guess. To express myself in a way I could never really do in my job as a magazine writer when I had to represent someone else's brand. Podcasts are a labour of love. Because we pour so much of ourselves into it, it would be nice if people listened. In fact, for many content creators, not just podcasters, there's a tension between Trying to develop a unique identity in our work, either by delivering content in a fresh format or covering topics and presenting opinions outside of mainstream publications, domains, and what they might be comfortable with exploring, and still wanting to attract a sizable audience. Today, I want to address that tension. What are the opportunity costs of presenting an alternative voice in the media? How much of our true selves can we afford to present? And what can we even achieve from it? But first, let's appreciate for a moment a content creator's pure, unadulterated love for the craft. Here's Danny waxing lyrical about the in-depth storytelling, the music, the voices, and their raw emotion that make podcasts just so immersive. 
He cited one podcast that illustrates the true power of the medium. There's one by WNYC called The Sporkful. Jesus Christ, that show is incredible, man. It's like planet money but for food. The Sporkful isn't a show about good food and how to make it or where to find it. It's about history, stories, and people surrounding the food. A great part about what makes food shows so appealing is the visual element you get to see and that's what makes it so appetizing, right? But then you listen to them talk about the stories behind the food and it's like this is a completely new angle that is barely touched upon. Because in a food show, the visual element is, is very distracting. But then in a podcast, and this, and this is another aspect of what I find so great about podcasts, is that you really get into like the sort of, it's a bit cliche to say this, but the human element. Because you're listening to, from a very, very personal perspective, you're listening directly to the person speaking. You're not really distracted by what they're wearing or what they look like or you know, what kind of food they're preparing. You're listening to them, their voice, their experiences, their, their stories, and it makes it very, very more personal, very, very, very more relatable. It isn't just the listener who benefits from having an audio-only experience. Your guests on the show do too, because they're put at ease. Farikin Anwar, the host of local podcast Do Not Click, weighs in. Well, that's the thing about the podcast. So I feel like having an interview with a camera and without a camera is two different things. So, you know, it's, it's a much more intimate conversation off the camera because they are not worried about how they look. They are more focused on you. You can have much more out of the person without, without a camera. Do Not Click is a series that features long unscripted interviews with celebrities like Ong Chu An, Benjamin King, radio DJs The Muttons, and Gurmit Singh. Farikin says that talking to them off camera gets even the most seasoned entertainers more comfortable and turns up the most fascinating things as a result. When I had a podcast with Shu An, she brought up ASMR eating. You, you enjoy listening to the sounds or people munching the food or slurping the meat and all that. Ben, we talk about wrestling, we talked about his sister doing Bollywood shows or whatever. So it's just like just random inf- information that you just can't find anywhere or I just would never ever have thought of that. Of course, we're preaching to the choir here since you guys obviously listen to podcasts. How do you tell a compelling story in a way that distinguishes you from other storytellers that keeps people coming back to you specifically for more? I wish I had a formula for that, but many of us just bump around in the dark trying to figure it out as we go along. When I first started out, I had no clue (laughs) about what I was doing. Here's Danny again. The goal was very, very, very simple. Basically, it was for me to be able to geek out about something I love, economics, and at the same time to help promote the local podcast scene. I didn't really understand or try to figure out what went behind the scenes of producing like a very, very highly produced show, like a Planet Money or Hidden Brain. So all the stuff that I'm trying to learn now that I'm slowly picking up, like you know, crafting emails, talking to guests, making sure the right segments, and you know, making sure you produce ahead of your schedule. <laughs> at the start, I didn't have that in mind at all. What I had in mind was just look up different topics that I want to, to talk about, 
write a script, record the script, clean up the audio bit, publish. And if you go back to my earlier episodes, it sounds just like that. The podcast was essentially Danny reading out well-written, balanced essays about various topics in economics with musical interludes. It was clean and professional-sounding, but it wasn't engaging in a way that Danny had hoped. Right around the one-year mark of his short podcasting career, Danny felt like he was losing steam. His day job as an auditor at KPMG was wearing him down, Plus, he had many other commitments piling on. By June 2018, I was like getting super burnt out. Lah. You know, it was like whatever topic that I could do or I thought was quite feasible, then I could just do. And at that point, I was just producing just for the sake of producing. And it really felt like the, the joy of researching or even talking about these kind of topics were kind of uh, sucked out a little bit lah, because... Um, you know, with all the commitments, podcasting felt a little bit like a chore. It was during this time that he interviewed Mint Lim, the founder of a tuition centre that aims to provide support for children from low-income families. The plan was to talk to her and tell a story about her social enterprise. And it ended up being one of the most profound exchanges he's had in the course of doing his show. You know, you have one of those questions where you're asking, like, what, what, what were some of the most memorable moments, right? Yeah. The interview was the most memorable one for me. Because she talked a lot about empathy and listening. Mint is sharp and business-minded, but her heart is with the children she teaches and others like them who lack the opportunities to succeed. In the interview, she places empathy at the centre of all her decisions. She urged listeners to consider why people act a certain way, why they believe the things they do, and to try to understand the circumstances another person might be facing before jumping to conclusions about them. And I was like, holy cow, is this something that I need to do, do more of? Actually, looking back now, it's like the stuff that I was doing before, it was most of the time it was just me trying to push a narrative, trying to push what I want people to hear. But then she introduced this idea of like listening more and listening better. He started thinking about all his previous episodes. One of the episodes that I thought uh, I did really great on was the Lee Kashing episode. It was a half-hour-long, fleshed-out look into the life of Hong Kong's richest business magnate, from his tough childhood working long hours in a factory to his incredible rise to the industry throne and beyond. I, I spent so much time looking up the guy's story, Lee Kaixing's story, and I found it so incredible. And then like, I, pu- I plucked out all these like, different, different things that people can take away from, and throughout the episode, it's just me basically like telling his story and at the same time saying that, oh, hey, here's something you can learn, here's something you can learn, here's something you can learn. And in terms of like, listener value, right? I think like that was just like a jam-packed episode. But then, it's so boring. <laughs> because like, you know, you're listening to just the one person talking the whole way. And you know, I, I don't mean to like, shoot or criticize people who... Who, who produced that way, la, monologues, I guess. But, you know, I, 
I guess it's just my own preference uh, that I prefer listening to different perspectives and different voices. Different voices cut through the sonic monotony, and they also offer the opportunity to introduce ideas and opinions that are not your own. Danny had never truly considered this until he learned to consider the subject and the listener with greater empathy. This was his first lesson. Good storytelling begins with stepping into the shoes of your audience and learning what sets their hearts on fire. And then work that into your stories. What strikes me is his humility and grace when it comes to receiving feedback from friends and listeners. He readily adapts and modifies his content in response to criticism. You see this in the way that he talks about his early attempts to weave more music into one of his episodes. I just went to YouTube library, found a bunch of random tracks that I like, and just like talked over it. I thought it sounded great, right? And then uh, <laughs> one of the first uh, replies that I got was from John. He was saying like, hey, I, I, I like your new episode, but your music was uh, terrible, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I could barely listen to the portions. It, I was like, shit, man. <laughs> and, and actually, he's got a point because um, the music I was curating was really terrible for narrating over. In, in a sense of like, it was songs that were very melodic heavy. For example, it was like a, a, a rock and roll track or something and it had like these uh, uh, screaming guitar riffs. So, so even if you lower the volume, it's still like very, very distracting. So that was what he hated, you know. And I was like, yeah, actually you're right. While most people might have reacted defensively, Danny kept this comment in mind and became more selective with his music choices, which made his subsequent episodes much more listenable. Then came the O-Bike fiasco. Just about everybody was enraged over O-Bike's sudden withdrawal from Singapore and how the CEO had supposedly took off with all our money. This is where Danny exercised empathy in a very unexpected way, at least in my opinion. All the media was just focusing on like, all guns pointed at Obike saying, that, oh, this is the bad guy. He's so evil, he's running away with all money. Where, where in reality, everyone is to blame, right? Everyone has like a role to play in this. So I was like, so damn pissed. And, and you know, throughout my, career or whatever I've been so always been so conscious about like being careful about stepping on the toes of people but in this instance I'm like screw it you know I'm gonna blast everyone I don't care some of that probably stemmed from a need to release all that tension accumulated during this tough period he was going through and recording stuff he wasn't happy with but it also reflected a desire to present all sides of the story with this newfound daring, he also decided to try something completely different with the format. He used familiar tunes to paint a sonic landscape and was more deliberate in his blocking of the episode. So, so I had like the most fun producing this and recording this episode because I, I, I threw in like different stuff that I had never done before. Uh, one being where I introduced like a theme. The overarching theme was that of like the, the Wild West, like a Mexican standoff kind of thing between like the three parties in this scenario, which was the government, the users and the company itself. I brought in music from like the good, the bad, the ugly, from like Kill Bill, 
from like, all these like cool blues riffs and then I just went on a tear during like the recording and it felt so fun it felt it felt fun doing it again and the feedback on this episode was really good they loved it <laughs> I was like <laughs> I was like a little bit taken aback because it's like <laughs> because I put so much more effort into like that episode that I do and then here when I'm like you know because I'm a bit more restrained when I do the other episodes, and here when I'm just like I, I don't give a I don't give a shit about about what I'm saying, and it's just like they love it. Danny learned his second big lesson: embrace risk, try new things, and have fun with it. I knew I couldn't keep doing this, and I I didn't want to be that guy. So you know, if you want to talk about like podcasting voice, right? This wasn't the voice that I wanted to do. Because I knew that this wasn't me. This was just. Um, Danny having a rough day. Yeah, it was just me having a Hulk moment. I took a while to process this. But Danny, I wanted to say, isn't that you? Isn't this reflexive angst about the Obike incident the truest response? Danny clarified, it might have been his honest feelings. But it wasn't a side of him that he wanted to put out there. He was not the type of person to run his mouth about things, and certainly not on a very public platform. Besides, it wasn't good for the podcast. I know damn well that if I just ramble on for like an hour, there's no one, no one will listen. Maybe some, maybe my mom, maybe Effie, I don't know. But, but no one, no one will listen to that. No one wants to listen to that, right? But, but, you know, to some extent, that is the most authentic version of yourself. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing that you just uh, present a side, a different side of you, or a curated side, if you will, on a podcast. And, you know, if you want to go back even to your themes that you've been doing throughout the season of, like, trying to find yourself, your true self, right? Trying to find an identity, Podcasting has always been one thing that I've been telling people is that a great way to sort of express yourself is through podcasting. The reason why is that you get so much leeway in crafting this voice. When I do my show, when I talk on the podcast, that is not me. That is not me wholly. That is one side of me. But there's so many different aspects. And I, and I, and I hope to God that this is the case for everyone else because... I think it'd be really frightening to put yourself completely and wholly out there. Because I just think that's number one, that's that's just lazy. <laughs> number and then and then number two, I don't think anyone wanna listen. On its surface it's a bit of a paradox when you look at it that way. Um, because podcasting is features wise it tends to be very intimate because you're hearing people's voices. So, so listeners would tend to think that you know this is the actual person speaking. This is a much more relatable story. Oh, this person really means what they're saying. Because you're listening to that voice directly, ma, and it's very hard to fake sort of that um, emotion. La. But the fact of the matter is that it is a product at the end of the day. And so, unless what you are doing right is basically just audio diaries you know clicking on the microphone recording yourself for like an hour rambling on mistakes and whatnot and then just stopping and then just publishing it your 
authentic voice, your true self, I don't think will ever, ever be on a podcast. And to some people, right, that, that might be a bit of a shocker, right? <laughs> yeah, actually, funny thing was that um, your podcast, actually, holy shit, I want to talk about this. Because cause, cause this messed me up so bad, right? Was that um, your podcast, especially, you put yourself, well, it sounds like you put yourself, a lot of yourself on, on the show. And you know, I've read, I've read some of your articles as well. I think you just do this in general. And you know, it's like a defining feature of, the, it gives your podcast the identity, right? That is the podcast voice. And then after listening to like so many episodes, it's like, I was like, okay, I have a fair idea of who, who this person is. You know, I, I think I know this person fairly well. And then there's the episode you did where you interviewed your dad. And there was that one moment where you were like almost having a sort of existential crisis where you broke down saying that I'm kind of tired because I'm giving in so much into this identity of social anxiety, into this brand, where you feel like you're losing yourself. And then you say like, I'm so much more than just that. That, that was like, when I listened to that, I was like, wow. Shit, um, it's true that there's, there's actually more to this person than just like what they've been saying on this podcast all along. As a storyteller, I obsess over authenticity and staying true to your identity in the things I say on the podcast and in my writing. But to Danny, what you have to say is just as important as how you say it. In the case of the Economical Rise podcast, it was crucial that the story sounded incredible. So after the Obike episode, Danny experimented even more with the different elements of his podcast. He did a documentary-style two-parter on the rise and fall of High Flux founder Olivia Lum that incorporated many great interview clips from various newsmakers, including Olivia herself, as well as heavier use of music as a narrative device, and many more interesting transitions. Then he did a piece on why queues for fish soup in the CBD area were always the longest, in which he added many new voices to break the monotony and create a story around the research question. For that episode, I had my good friend Li Ying to do like the sort of skeleton story behind the episode, which is basically that it was just, uh, it was her bugging me to go to lunch at 10.30 because the queues were going to get so long for fish soup. He admits it wasn't an Oscar-worthy performance, but it was a good start. He did another episode on why temperatures in office buildings are always so ridiculously low. The good thing was also I, I managed to introduce my wife more into the podcast as well because she loves, she's like my number one fan and she is so, so amazing because she supports me in this project all the way, right? Whenever I produce a, an episode, she'll always be the first one to like give feedback. The Aircon episode, that was uh, actually her idea. She always wanted to, to know why it was always so cold. And I was like, yeah, that seems pretty interesting, why not do that? So he got her on the show to talk about it. As a listener, you feel like you get to know him a little better through his interactions with his wife Effie and his friends, even if it's just a curated side of him. 
Danny isn't slowing down. He started a spin-off series dedicated to promoting other podcasts, dabbled in fictional audio dramas, and is now finding new ways to shake up his main series. The next episode is going to be a bit heavy, so I want to see how that plays off. And again, it's going to be a little bit different of style, but it's, it's, it's sort of going into this format. Lah. And now I've also settled into a bit of a, a rhythm and structure, and there's a bit of a identity as well. So I think that's, that's the podcasting voice, if you let me have that leeway. Lah. A third lesson I gleaned from his sharing was this. Though it might be counterintuitive, having a strong identity as a storyteller doesn't mean the way you tell the story stays the same, because nobody likes a formulaic, predictable story. Your ability to shapeshift, to breathe new life into each story, that could very well be a part of your identity. There is a delicate balance to be maintained between devoting your energy to the polish and to the substance. To Danny, both are equally important. He wants to create something that is as immersive as the Sporkful, but about topics he loves, namely local stories regarding economics. Wanting to do both means squeezing out any time he has available to work on the podcast. I'm in a very, very, very different field from a creative. And I am fully, fully 100% aware of the opportunity costs and the trade-offs that I'm making. That there are people, there are my peers who are going out there, they're taking extra papers, they're getting their, their CPAs, they're, they're doing their exams and whatnot. Here I am spending my weekends researching some story. <laughs> or spending, you know, hours upon hours editing and looking for music and curating. So I am fully 100% aware of that trade-off that I am making. But what keeps me going is that I know that I am creating value, that people are listening. It's that by doing this, that my content gets, gets heard. I think that's what matters more than just having an authentic voice. Sometimes I think he and I maybe take our projects a little too seriously. I love the medium of podcasting as much as Danny, but not all podcasters put it on a pedestal. For example, Farikin, the host of Do Not Click, whom we heard from earlier, has a much more practical reason for choosing this medium. As someone who worked in video production, he had a natural interest in creating his own content. Initially, I wanted to do a YouTube channel because that's what everybody's doing, right? A YouTube channel. But I've been there before. I've tried to do a YouTube channel and it, doing it alone is possible, but at the same time, it's going to be a lot of work. So what I wanted was really sustainability, something that I can do and will probably last a very long time. Maybe it is easier to produce than a YouTube video, but I can't deny that the time and energy we devote to it is kind of insane. And it's almost frustrating that people don't always realize this right away. Danny compares it to the unseen work a social media influencer puts into every single post. 
On the surface, it really seems like a vanity project. It's basically just them just trying to show off. You know, look at all these cool friends that I have, look at all these cool clothes that I buy, look at all these cool things that I'm doing. But the thing is, people are interested in knowing that. And people find value, in a way, of finding out what these people are up to. And if you were to ask them, you know, how much effort do you put into your post, they will tell you roughly the same thing. Right? In terms of getting the right lighting, waking up the right time, you know, finding the right people to shoot for you, all the scheduling, production, it's kind of similar. And it's not always easygoing as they make it out to be. But that is just the side that they want to portray because people are interested in buying into that. And like social media influencers, we podcasters too are trying to create content that we think you'll want to hear. We're pleading for your attention, vying for your likes. Even you as well, even any content producer, to some degree, it is a vanity project as well. Because you are saying, here's what I'm trying to say, will you listen? The great thing is, is that you exchange that, right? In exchange for showing this side or developing this side of yourself, uh, people listen. And in some instances, uh, not currently, but maybe in the future, you may get rewarded for it. At the moment, you exchange the effort you put in and how much love you put into the production for people's time and people's attention, and maybe to generate curiosity or interest in a subject. And maybe in the future, if people think it's, it's, it's worthy enough, they'll find value enough in it to even pay you for it. It's just, just capitalism, man. <laughs> It's, 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 it's basically that, it's just the, the exchange of goods and services, man. It's only fitting for Danny to bring it all back to economics. And true to his beliefs, he was eager to create external economies of scale. One thing I've been noticing was that there was a lot of these amateur shows. The trend that I'm seeing is that they release like maybe five to ten episodes and then they just die. One reason I think because they don't get enough traction, um, you know, because podcasting isn't a thing. And the next reason I think is because they don't have any support. And it's very, very lonely, you know, if you're doing this by yourself. Because there's no one to bounce ideas off, there's no one to sort of egg you on or, or, or push you forward. So he created a Facebook group for local podcasters to meet one another. I thought it was like a no-brainer because it was like very much in line with like my initial goals of starting the podcast in the first place. And apart from just providing support for people, for newcomers or even for people who have questions or looking for feedback or whatnot or even want to collaborate. Another important thing that comes out of the group is competition. Because when I see like Ling Ling posting that she has like 100k listens in like 10 months, part of me is like, Holy cow, I'm so proud of that, that someone I know is, is able to do this in Singapore, right? Ling Ling is the host of the podcast Leaders of Learning. She's probably the top podcaster in Singapore and she's just awesome. But another part of me is like, shit, what's taking me so long? What, what do I need to do to get there? That, that sort of drive lah. And I think that, that drive is really important, man. Because it pushes you to, to sort of want to improve and, and do better, right? Because... If you are not getting the sort of traction or listens that you're satisfied with at the moment, I think the worst thing you can do is just to stick to the same thing over and over again. 
maybe that means that the podcasting voice will keep evolving and maybe it will get further from your so-called true voice. Maybe it'll get closer. But the exciting thing is that we're in complete control over what that voice sounds like. And it's up to us to make sure that it's one that you can connect with. Thanks for listening. And a huge thank you to Danny and Farikin for sharing their thoughts with me. I'll see you guys at the next meetup. Check out Danny's show, The Economical Rise Podcast, and Farikin's show, Do Not Click, on whatever podcasting app you're using to listen to this. See music for this podcast was provided by Sobs, and sound design was by Lee Jaren. <laughs>